3: Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to forecast episode 166. Well, it was a battling display as Pompey dispatched Hereford and are through to the next round of the FA Cup against MK Dons at home.
2: Join the podcast today, is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, lovely to be here. Good, thank you. Yeah, dispatched, clinical, never in doubt. Stunning performance, no squeaky bum time. Just. Ahead from the first whistle to the last whistle clinical what else can you say but uh yeah not too bad thank you sir lovely to be here as always hope you're keeping well I am yeah I mean
3: I've not been too football focused this weekend it's my girlfriend's birthday so I've been out for various meals and had friends around for parties and all that sort of malarkey you do when you're not actually going to football games so mixing it up a little bit in life and uh, what's been going on with you Freddie Webb?
1: Uh, Hi, how's it going? Uh, Last weekend, it was just busy. I was working. So I was literally writing for about, probably about 20 hours (laughs) over those two days over the weekend. So, uh, you know, every cloud. But no, thankfully, it wasn't a storybook ending for Hereford, even though story scored in the first half, and it just made me feel ill, as did that first half. But no, thankfully, it sorted itself out. And uh, yeah, all going all right on the Pompey front-ish. Some decent news stories to go through as well. Lovely stuff.
3: Yeah, we definitely weren't shitting ourselves, were we? When we were posting online, it could happen. And Absolutely not. It.
1: <laughs> the 2-1 was on as well with the Mars story goal. Oh, the,
3: yeah. the 1-1 was on, mate, with the Mars story goal. That's, that's what I was concerned about when it was 1-0. But... All right, let's crack into it. So First of all, we're going to review the game against Hereford. Following from that, we're going to discuss some news and whether Josh Griffiths is actually being scapegoated and what's going on there. And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, are you shitting yourself about the loan players being recalled in January? And then we spoke to Dave Salmon from Beyond Radio, who does the I follow commentary for Morecambe to preview the game on Saturday against Morecambe. Right, let's go. Hereford. I said dispatched and Andy snarled a little bit of my, my, the way I put that forward, but... It was a display that met, left many Poppy fans worried. But at the end of the day, Freddie Webb, we went through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like like I said, alluded to earlier, the first half was not convincing in any way. Um, but thankfully, in the second half, things pulled together. It was, it, it, there was, a, I think, a lot more effort in the second half as well, a lot more drive. The key subs were made on the 61st minute, which controlled the midfield and then controlled the game from there. Pompey attackers took their chances and then in the end it was comfortable. It wasn't a complete display like we would have liked. We would have preferably preferred Pompey to be out of sight for pretty much the entire game. But yeah, I think considering where it ended up, it could have been an awful lot worse from the first half an hour that we watched.
3: Andy, you watching the first half and it was a, a situation really, wasn't it? Where Pompey weren't really first to each ball and really weren't getting the passing game going against... Quite a tough league, non league opposition, as we suggested. Danny Callody wasn't too happy with that first half display. So, what did you think was going wrong for Pompey
2: in the middle then? I think, yeah, the start of the game was always going to be a case of dealing with the occasion and the atmosphere. Obviously, their attendance was far higher than it normally would be in the league. And it was, you know, under lights, on TV. There was always going to be a bit of a, a breaking in period there. And Pompey had to get through that. What then didn't seem to happen was that clicking into gear that should happen as the league, well, the league club or the EFL club, where you kind of start, you know, going through the gears and asserting your dominance on the game. I think there was, I think it was Coroma had a shot from outside the box early on. It was a decent enough save from their keeper, but Pompey didn't really put their stamp on the game in the way we expected them to and in the way we certainly would have wanted them to and uh, then as you say yeah it um it wasn't inspiring or as Freddie said it wasn't inspiring in the first half and I, I was I was surprised we went a goal down but I wasn't absolutely blown away with just complete being staggered I mean they were Hereford were in the game you know they were competing man for man completely fairly and and yeah, it was difficult to argue with them going a goal a goal up, even though it was a slightly individual mistake that um, that caused it. How often have we said that? Individual errors in this Pompey team? What are we talking
3: about? But we spoke last week about the story of Miles' story. We didn't want that children's book to be written in this game, and it looked like it was going to happen, didn't it? When the ball was sort of given away, Rico Hackett a little bit slow on, on the on the turn there, and it gets turned over. Miles' story comes through. Of course, it'd be the ex-Pompey player. Dispatches the ball, slots it home. It's one now Hereford. Freddie, what do you think of the goal? Uh
1: from a Marl story, story point of view, excellent finish. Uh from a Pompey defending point of view, pretty atrocious. Um really, it's a tough one because I thought Hackett wasn't strong enough when he received the ball. It was quite easy for Marl Stories to take it off him. Some would argue that Raggett passing it to Hackett when he was under pressure, maybe. But no, the problem was it was quite needless in the way it was given away and it just tilted the balance in Hereford's favour which is which is where it was leaning for most of that second half beforehand with Pompey not really creating an awful lot to start with. I think he only had four shots in the first half compared to 11 of the entire game and their expected goals was only high in the end because of Hackett's goal after Pompey sort of got their heads together after they realised they were 1-0 down, which you would like not that to happen in the first place, but uh, thank God they did. If it was a children's book, it was going to be
3: the anti-hero who comes back and gets the goal, wasn't it, after giving that mistake away? Because the ball comes back in, Ogilvy puts crossing the ball, flick on from Ronan Curtis, knocked home by Rico Hackett, who pretty much plays that nicely into the top corner. It's 1-1. At this stage, we go in at half-time, 1-1. And Danny Cowley must have really given them a, a hearty word, wouldn't you say, Andy?
2: Yeah, I think so. You're talking about children's books. The first half was more like sort of a rolled doll book, like the Twits or something, to be honest with you, rather than anything else. It was not a strong first 45 from Pompey. But as you say, they get in at halftime, hopefully get the fear of God put into them by um, a combination for Cowley's. I wonder if they do good cop, bad cop, or if they just completely lay into them. I don't know. I can I can imagine both of them doing both of those roles. I don't know. Maybe they alternate. Who knows? But as you say, the second half, we get a little bit more impetus. The the first half was just so pedestrian, wasn't it? It was very slow, sort of very hungry caterpillar. I'm just going to keep throwing the children's books out there until we get past the Hereford game. But it was very, very pedestrian pace, whereas the second half, there was a little bit more Oomph, there, and you—you know—you can't ever take teams from this league for granted. We saw even in the Ipswich game, um, the what was it? Two nights later, that you can't take teams in this league for granted at all. They are—you know—they're going to compete, and they're—they're they're on a big stage compared to their normal weekend games. So you've got to expect something from them. But yeah, the second half, it looked like there was a little bit more of a difference in quality. Uh, I wouldn't say it was entirely one-sided by any stretch of the imagination but they did what needed to be done in the second half and and to be honest with you that's that's my main takeaway it wasn't a classic it wasn't a game I'm going to look back on particularly fondly particularly the first half but they got the job done through a a couple of fairly simple really uh, goals in the second half
3: yeah fairly simple goals in the second half sometimes what's needed aren't they to get a win and some all right corners, actually, from Pompey into the box, into that dangerous area. And what you've got to say is sometimes you need a player with a little bit of magic, a little bit of class. And Colby Bishop makes that run. And what he does is he runs in front of the defender to get in there first. And he flicks it on into the back corner. Freddie, that's not an easy header to do, is it?
1: No, it wasn't at all, because it was uh, looping into the far corner. And the expected goals shows that a bit. With it being deemed as a 0.13 chance, I still don't think that's high enough, but there we are. But still quite hard... A hard header, in my opinion, from there. Um, I like the fact that in the post-match, Colby basically said that he was going to do the, join the bus queue again for the corner, like all the attackers does. But for that one, he just went, no, nah, I don't really fancy it, and peeled off on his own, went ahead to the, head of the defender and got, and got that chance. Lovely ball in swing and corner by Clark Robertson as well. Really like that. Um, his delivery was much better from the corner um, than he has been. And yeah, I think Pompe- Pompey gained a lot of impetus before that goal even. Um, it helped with the substitutions with Joe Joe Piggott and Tom Lowry coming on. Mingi struggled for me, in my opinion, in centre midfield and Curtis got whacked in the first half and you saw afterwards he had his ankle swole and massively and could barely run. So bringing on those changes, not only did it give another outlet up front, but Tom Lowry's play in the midfield, um, his ability just to collect the ball deep and then make those simple passes out just made the entire play quicker and more accurate really um, allowed Tunnicliffe also to have some freedom to go a bit further forward and assist the strikers and yeah they they just seemed more comfortable and at ease in midfield um, and then the goal and then as soon as Popper went 2-1 up I wasn't worried really to be honest it, it seemed sort of plain sailing from there
2: As someone who occasionally teaches physiotherapy at undergraduate and master's level Freddie I can confirm that THWACK is actually the medically accurate term for what happened to Ronan Curtis. It's, uh, it's what we use in academic literature to describe being smashed in the knee. So yeah, thwack is a good word. I like that. Um, I thought your, your comment on Mingy, I thought he tried to break the line in the first half. I thought at least he was trying something a little bit different. I think quite a lot of what he tried didn't come off. But at the same time, at least it was something other than slow and to be honest, a little bit stagnant at times. But I completely agree with your point that as soon as Lowry comes on, it looks different, doesn't it? I think having him back fit is hopefully gonna change the complexion of that central midfield completely. Cause I I don't think I realised quite how much our centre midfield missed him until he came back on and sort of made me realize what we'd been missing out on for the last few weeks. Yeah, as we said before, he basically links up the play, doesn't he? Brings the
3: ball out, of defence to midfield, gets people moving. And we've been sort of talking about how Pompey have been very, very slow off the ball in previous games recently when he's not been in the pitch. And his just general movement around the pitch himself invites other players to move as well, which then creates chances, creates passes, gets Pompey moving quicker, et cetera. So welcome back, Tom Lowry, mini Esther. I saw the Pompey fans singing his name after the game. You know, refusing to leave, top work, lads. Yeah, very happy to have Tom Larry back in the team. But finally, let's talk about that last goal then. Another set play, another corner. This one's not quite into the same spot, is it? But Colby gets his head on it. And Joe Piggott gets what I'm going to call a pretty much needed goal for him to to get another goal on his record, Freddie. How important is that for Joe Piggott to get a goal?
1: Yeah, a proper striker's goal. And uh, whenever a striker scores a chance like that, it sometimes just sets them off and running. Um i I, I know we we're playing against the National League North side, but I thought he had an actual impact in in this game coming on, linked up the play with Bishop quite nicely. Um, it was reasonable that Hackett went on sort of on the on the wide because he was playing in the cam uh, in the first half, which I think he has excellent close control, and his ability to dual pass plays is really good. Sometimes his end product isn't brilliant. But no, I think having that other outlet in that game alongside Bishop, I think that really helps. And it might be the case of him playing alongside Bishop against Morecambe, not to preempt things, because I don't think Dane Scarlett scored in quite a while. I don't think he's scored since the Peterborough game, has he? Not in the
2: league, no. I think it's like 11, is it 11 games and eight of them in the league? I think I saw a stat earlier on Twitter that was something along those lines.
1: Yeah, i thought I thought as much. Um, it might just be a case, not because Dane Scarlett's played badly, just resting and trying something else. And since Pickett's got that goal, if you give him the opportunity, then his confidence might grow and he might he might start contributing on the score sheet a bit more. What's not to like about that?
3: I've always liked playing someone like Scarlett when he's got that space to run in behind. And we'll talk about the Morecambe preview and how they're going to set up. So we'll see if we think they're going to have that space or not. But any more points on this game before we move on? Should we talk about the draw that we've got?
2: Yeah, that's the general concern that when we post on social media that it's a glamour tie, there's always a certain proportion of people don't realise it's slightly tongue-in-cheek and then completely, you know, lay into you for a glamour tie. We're Portsmouth FC. It's not a glamour tie. Your expectations are so low. Just it's uh, it's always enjoyable.
3: Without taking the low-hanging fruit and and battering MK Dons for being a big club or not, let's be honest. What, franchise FC? Yeah, it was funny. I saw the pictures of their game against Morecambe in the Caribou Cup and there's literally nobody there. Like, there's literally no one there. It is quite sad, really, to see such a a big stadium with a scattering of fans. And fair play to the Morecambe fans who travelled down in the week to get there, but MK Dons, you know... Yeah, well, it's low-hanging fruit. Let's not even go there. So what do you yeah. think of the tie? What do you think of the tie, Freddie? MK Don's at home. What One thing I would say is it's a winnable tie that if Pompey can win the game, allows us to potentially get through and get a, a bigger away day against Premier League team.
1: Well, exactly, yeah. Um, obviously, my bias is any Northern away game just just because um, good nights out and an excuse to, go, to uh, go back up North again and go to a decent ground as well. But no, MK Don's at home. Likes the draw from a perspective of, I think it's personally a winnable game, which will then build momentum later into the season. Danny the Cowleys both like the FA Cup. They both treat it seriously. So why not? I I think it's a reasonable draw. Not a banana skin at all, in my opinion. Let's move on and talk about Josh Griffiths.
3: He's been a player that's been slightly scapegoated by some areas of the fan base, I think. It's fair to say, but... There are some underlying numbers that are a little bit concerning as well. I had a look into those earlier on, not before the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago. We didn't want to hammer the young lad. Do we think he's being scapegoated a little bit? There's been a media push, shall we say, from certain members of of the media to potentially say that the criticism of Josh Griffiths is unfair. I think it, it seems a little bit like every journalist who, who covers the beat has come out, wrote a story, had an interview, had a chat about it or posted it on Twitter. Do you think that's fair, Andy. Are
2: you suggesting that that was possibly prompted the sudden deluge for, of, of Griffith's support from every Portsmouth-related media outlet in the space of what, 36 hours? That's extremely cynical of you, Hugh. Um, I am 100% suggesting that. <laughs> just so cynical. Uh, for what it's worth... Although unprompted, I do actually agree with the sentiment a little bit, uh which is which makes it even more annoying because I would much rather disagree with something that people are probably being told to put out into the public domain. It'd be much more fun if I could just vehemently disagree with every word of it. But no, I do actually agree with the sentiment to a certain extent. I think it's very difficult to describe this without sort of repeating ourselves or looking like we're trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit, but Compared to last season, it was never going to be the same. A lot of people's point of reference is sort of a, a keeper who was, you know, the best keeper I've seen at Fratton Park since David James. And I feel like I'm just repeating old tropes here, but you're not on about Trevor Carson, are you, Andy? <laughs> no, funnily enough, not. No, um, that's a that's a whole other story. But um, I think. He is a, a decent League One keeper, Not, nothing more, nothing less. At the moment, he's young. There's a, you know, maybe he'll turn into something more than a decent League One keeper. I certainly hope that he does. But he is a perfectly well-functioning League One goalkeeper. That's that's for me the fact of the matter. And I don't really know why he's being so heavily critiqued. It's it's fashionable to pick a sort of. Was it beating a dead horse? I think I've asked you that question before, if you beat it. That is the right phrase, yeah. Yeah, I feel like people have jumped on it a little bit. It's become quite fashionable to have that opinion, but he's not really had any what I would call horror shows, is he, that I can think of? He got jumped on unfairly in the Charlton game, as far as I'm concerned. that Again, we were sitting in a place where we couldn't actually see the goal line in that game, but I didn't see anything completely horrendous happening in front of us. And I can't think of anywhere I'd say he's literally cost us points unless I'm missing something? I I think some fans, and I'll play devil's advocate here for the the purpose of the
3: conversation, are feeling like he's not making any big saves to sort of keep us in games. I think that's part of the narrative. And I'm sure Freddie's done a bit more work on the analytics, but I had a quick look at at Opta. Simple stats against goals, so, you know, goals prevented stats, Freddie. He's minus 3.2, according to Opta, which means that for instance, only James Belshaw and Simon Eastwood have worse
2: goals prevented rates, who have started at least 90% of games in the league. Shock um, you jumping in with a Simon Eastwood, throwing him under the bus as well. Also, you just to record Hugh, I'm absolutely against being asked for my opinion when you've got facts to back up completely the opposite opinion that you've not briefed me on. That's that's bad form, my friend. That's very bad form. Well, I said to
3: play devil's advocate because I'm sure Freddie can go into a lot more detail. But just, to, just for people you know, listening at home you aren't so analytically before Freddie leads into it, it means that, you know, he's conceded 3.2 goals more than expected effectively. And while Cooper at Plymouth, for instance, is top of the league, who's prevented 4.4 goals more than expected according to Opta. But there's some more advanced stats. So I'll let Freddie dive into the more advanced analytics of what you think of Josh.
1: Yeah, essentially, Hugh has just described something called post-shot expected goals. And essentially what that is is figuring out how much should it, how much is a keeper saving above or below the quality of chances he is facing. It goes towards shots on target. It doesn't count shots off target for obvious reasons. Um I'd look at what Y Scout said, and it's pretty much in line with what Opta said, with Griffith's prevented goals ratio of being minus 3.81, which is in the sample size that I did, I picked all the keepers who had paid at least five sets of 90 minutes, so 450 minutes. There were 25 keepers in that list. Griffiths was 22nd with the minus 3.81. His save percentage, he's also 20th with 63.83%. Um, again, that's to do with shots on target, but doesn't take into account the quality of chances. That's the key distinction. I don't think prevented goals is everything, but it is a good barometer of how good the keeper is doing compared to the chances he's getting. As a comparable to last season, the keeper that not be named, you know who he is, his prevented goal stat was plus 2.31 out of the entire season for being 10th in the entire league. Keep that in mind, and then with all the other good things he's doing, you can create a bigger picture. Um, I think my overall opinion on Griffiths is, as with many things, as with many arguments, with two sides, it is a little bit of both. Some things he isn't doing very well with, but some he pretty much is. Um, with the five, five clean sheets reasonable, his distribution stats across a lot of metrics are actually really good. And I've heard a lot of people watching him saying his distribution is terrible and mentioning ballooned shot shots in the 90th minute and so on.
2: So sorry for a, a ballooned Toblerone shot. I don't. I don't know what those words mean when they're used together. When I hear Toblerone, I just think of airports. Yeah, massive airport ones. Yeah, yeah massive exactly. airport you know, If so someone it.
1: has a Toblerone pass, it just goes
2: stupidly at a stupid angle all the way out. You what, heard so that, a, have you? A triangle is a stupid angle. What? It's not like the basis of all our passing in the game. <laughs> Yeah, it literally is, yeah. If you, if you don't like triangles, Portsmouth is not the club well, to watch. Well, there we are. I'll, I'll
1: leave that I'll, I'll let you figure out what that reference is. His passing stats, his forward passes per 90 of 15.57 with 81.4% accuracy is the second highest in the entire league um, with David Stockdale being higher than him. His long pass percentage, which covers aerial passes of at least... 25 metres, and ground passes of at least 45 metres. He is top of the entire league on that long passing accuracy of 78.61. He is ninth in the league for the number of passes to the final third per 90 of 5.55, but is top of the accuracy for passes to the final third out of the keepers that I mentioned of 78.26%. And the final passing metric I'm going to bring up is progressive passes. I've mentioned this before. It's the same stat with outfield players. Essentially, it takes into account how much you're progressing the play depending on where you are on the pitch. So let's say from where the goalkeeper is mostly, it is a pass that's at least 30 metres closer to the opposition goal from your own half. So if it effectively passes that are 30 metres forward or more forward passes, He is fifth in the entire league for progressive passes per 90 with 9.78 and is the second highest accuracy for progressive passes with 87.65%. I can't remember which keepers on the top. So according to the metrics, at any rate, his distribution is quite good in various ranges of passing and forward passing as well. But where where he doesn't do so well is effectively, if you just take the analytics gospel, uh, shot stopping and shots against, effectively. And that's pretty much it. And I think, in my opinion, there have been some goals where I think, Forts Griffiths could have done better. But I don't think it's a case of him being a complete liability yet.
2: I that's very good of you, French, to say he's not a complete liability. What a compliment. I strive for that not being a complete liability I get that quite a lot in life being called a complete liability so uh,
3: (laughs) I I would take that as a massive compliment guys especially on a night out but (laughs) Josh Josh Griffiths is still a young keeper isn't he who's developing and that's one of the reasons why he's been brought down to League One to to sort of work on areas he needs to improve we spoke about what kind of keeper that Danny Cowley wanted and you know we got Alex Bass obviously went off to Sunderland Danny Kelly didn't think that his passing out from the back and his distribution was good enough. We've seen Bass be quite a good shot-stopping goalkeeper across metrics as well, Freddie. So it's sort of working out who you want and who fits into the team a bit. And I do have a feeling that hopefully, as, as Josh with the season progresses, hopefully he can just tidy up some of those points and also not be hung out to dry quite a lot by some of those players as well. So I think we've had a lot of individual errors that have meant that he's not been left in the best positions to succeed. As we spoke about in the Shrewsbury game as well, I think some of that might have a bit of an impact on those metrics as well. Just the fact that he's being left out to dry in situations, that he doesn't really have that much chance really to stop the ball. Um, and one on ones, it seems to be a, an area that he sort of he struggles with a little bit. But all right, let's move on now because we've done enough talking about Joshy Griffiths and let's talk about the listener question. And thank you to everybody who messaged in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. Let's mix it up from talking about football analytics. Now we're going to be talking about loan players and contracts. And if we're shitting ourselves about the returning in January. so as, as
1: if we don't talk about that fairly regularly, about, about loan players and contracts. Oh, no.
3: Freddie's a big fan of loan players generally. But what I will say, though, is that when we got Owen Dale, who's a player that we started the season with me wanting to get on our... PO forecast transfer special I was hoping we could get him on a loan to buy but let's get cracking on let's get started. Andrew Perrin misses in and he says it's pretty likely unfortunately but pretty sure we get enough money in January to bring at least two new players in thanks to the FA Cup and previous League Cup run. Thankfully which Danny has ready and said he wants to sign permanent striker and another backup midfielder. Let's take that from it where we are. Um, Obviously, Joe Morrell, congratulations, Andy Mitchamore. I'm just going to wake you up for a second there after that football analytics dribble and say to you, Joe Morrell is now in the World Cup squad. Whoop, whoop, whoop for Wales. Get some money, money for Pompey as well. You don't care about Wales, but are we going to use this cup run money
2: to uh, invest in new players? Oh, I thought I was going to get to give an opinion on Joe Morrell there, but um, what is it? It's a minimum of... 200 and wait cup run do you mean world cup for joe morell or do you mean the fa cup run that's inevitable as well
3: well andrew just says that the previous cup runs we've got we've had so far which isn't very far in the competition let's be honest but let's say the money used from that and joe morell are we going to be able to reinvest it into the squad
2: uh you you'd hope so i would imagine so if it sounds like danny cowley's looking at bringing in at least one permanent uh, in the January transfer window, then I would certainly hope so. I mean, that that Joe, Joe Morel money, that sweet, sweet World Cup money is well-earned. A minimum of 250k, which will increase when Wales inevitably shock everyone and progress to the semi-finals of the tournament, as is what we all, we all know is going to take place. Um, we're not going to have a negative goal difference in the group stage and go out having scored zero goals doing a Rangers in the Champions League, definitely. Um, but no, the money, yeah, you'd, you'd hope it would be redistributed to the appropriate place. And, and you'd have to say, if loans are recalled, then the appropriate place would be on personnel. Freddie, if we are going to get some players in January, it's going to depend on who goes
3: out, isn't it? Rather than potentially getting a backup midfielder and, and a striker on permanence.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think it was essentially said before the transfer window ended that Pompey were pretty much at their contract max, weren't they? And that any other transfers in depended on the transfers coming out. I think when Pompey were trying to move on, Kieran Freeman and Brian Tunnycliffe, they pretty much said that. It was, it, it, if those players go, then some other players would come in to fill some gaps. It, I'm, I'm going to mention what Michael Appleton said in the media about what started this, essentially. He said that he's keeping his options open about recalling loan players and he said he would review the squad to potentially freshen things up due to a short amount of games in a short amount of time. Blackpool have a lot of injuries, so he might want to recall Owen Dale for the bench or to even start him considering how he's played. It brings up the, the eternal problem of focusing on loan players for your first team. You really don't have any control if the parent club wants to recall them in January and you got that recall clause in, which essentially most decent loan players have that clause in, so you can't really remove it. If you I think it took ages to get the picket deal over the line because they were arguing about whether to put the recall clause in or not. And yeah, it it would be a big miss I think for most of it let's say Owendale gets recalled. That's a massive gap. That's a massive gap in January to fill because you want you want your first choice right winger. Um You're basically playing Rico Hackett there on the right wing afterwards um, for the rest of the season if you can't bring on anybody else in. Other players as well, let's say Spurs want to recall Dane Scarlett. That's your, effectively your second striker gone. You'll have to look for another striker on loan or or somebody else. And yeah, it's going to cause a lot of issues. Also disharmony in the squad, less tactical familiarity because you're bringing in new players as well. They have to take down to gel. And while that's going on, other approach and chasing sides will probably be winning games. It's, it, it is a concern, and it's a concern which a lot of fans have, and I'm not surprised.
3: John Patterson messaged in, and he says, Hi Hugh, great show, you've been listening for about three seasons. Thanks, John. In relation to your question, Griffiths, Dale and Scarlett would be major losses. Cromer has flattered to deceive, mainly, and worryingly does not appear to be able to work a relationship with Ogilvy down the left. Agreed, John, we were talking about that last episode about him being very narrow. His constant cutting in is infuriating. So, given me other options there, that may be a blessing, but if you ask me whether I want to keep him for the range of the season, I would, as he clearly has quality, which I think would be best used as an impact sub. I doubt Scarlett would be recalled, given Spurs' strength and experience in forward areas, but Griffiths and Dale could genuinely be recalled. Appleton's comments, which Freddie's just mentioned, and West Brom's poor form, plus their current goalkeepers, are nothing to write home about. We need to be adding one or two quality players in January, not replace players that were already involved. All right, so let's talk about some of the players that could get recalled there. Josh Coroma at Huddersfield. I don't know if he's got a recall clause. I'm just going to assume people do in this sense. Not if you know any different, but I don't think he's getting recalled because some of these players who get recalled generally it's because they're overperforming and people want them back in the team. Huddersfield have been pretty woeful this season, really, haven't they, in the championship? So there's always that possibility they could recall him. But
2: I don't really see Josh Coroma being recalled. Do you, Andy Mitchmore? No, I'd be very, very surprised. I don't think he's been pulling up trees in League One. So you'd be surprised if that resulted in being promoted up to the championship overnight. Uh, yeah, he's. I'd be quite happy for him to stick around because he's shown that he does have those moments of quality in the first Few times he lined up for the Blues and scored a couple of lovely goals in front of the Fratton end. But yeah, the last few appearances have been a bit more sort of predictable. You feel as if he's been worked out a little bit by opposition defenses in terms of not having a huge amount of variation to his game. Maybe I don't know if that's too harsh. Feel free to to let me know if you do think that's too harsh. But I would be surprised to see him requested back by Huddersfield because he is getting minutes for us he's just not really taking huge advantage of them in the last couple of or the last what seven or eight games
3: yeah no I agree and um, Scarlett getting recalled let's hope not we need need bloody strikers at this moment in time but again it looked likely at the start of the season that there was a potential you know I still didn't think it's going to happen I think they want him to play a whole season at one club in the Football League so you know, disrupting him, Freddie Webb, from where he is now when he's doing well could be potentially unbeneficial to Tottenham.
1: Yeah, um, probably the sides like that want their youngsters to develop in the best environment. And I think for them, Dane Scarlett is there. He's getting his minutes. He's with a coach, Danny Cowley, who has a track record of improving young players. He's getting his chances. He's not being overworked. If he gets brought back to Spurs, how often would he play? It depends how far they go into in other comp- competitions in Europe. There's no guaranteed p- place to actually start there. So why not leave him for the season? Just think long-term, see where he goes. Um, that's what I would do if I was Spurs
2: manager anyway. Looking at our centre midfield, he has definitely not been overworked in the last few games, Freddie. You are quite right. I've got to agree that.
3: Stephen in, he says... To be honest i'm not that worried if anything go back none of them have set the world alight although replacing dale or scarlet would be more of a challenge to replace than the other ones my question to you guys would be if any of our five lone players go back have you got any suggestions on who we could bring in to replace them the one i've thought is if scarlet goes back in brackets highly unlikely but we could replace him with reyes clary from west brom under 21s check him out he looks decent well, Stephen, that's good that you started our scouting report earlier on. I'm going to say off the top of my head, because I only just read your messages, because that's how we, how we do it. I don't really pre-read stuff. Let's have a think about that. We're going to start doing some research and we'll come back to you on it, because off the top of my head, I'm not really, not really sure who I want to get in. So we'll do the usual digging around and, and some research
2: and come back to you on that one. Football Manager 23 is out. So um, that's, that's the scouting report ready to go. Are we gonna are we gonna ask Proudy then? Are we gonna get Proudy on to do his FM version of it, Andy, and you know, go from there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Football manager is the most st- statistically accurate way of scouting young players, I've heard, according to him. So let's get him back on.
3: Yeah, I agree. And he always does extremely well with his teams as well. So I can see his uh, his scouting getting us promoted, right? Yeah, Stephen, we'll get back to you on that one. We'll come back with some player suggestions, but off the top of my head, I'm not quite sure who to suggest. But Tim Foot mentioned it and he said, in a funny way, it's a good sign. They only want them back if they're playing well. So the Cowleys must be doing something right with the talent trusted to them by other clubs. Look at Hurst this season. I'm confident anyone recalled can be replaced with other loans. It's fair to say that whilst we're babbling on about doing some scouting reports ourselves and getting Proudy to come in from, to his football manager malarkey, actually, I'm sure the club have been preparing behind the scenes if we have a situation when one of these players are called back, Freddie.
1: Uh, they have to, don't they? Um, they have to have a contingency plan there um, because otherwise it's quite short-sighted. If you're going to use the loan market for your for key players and key positions, you have to plan ahead in case any of them are recalled for various reasons. Usually the biggest reason why players are recalled are A, they're playing well and B, the other side, their parent club has a lot of injuries so they can come in and make an impact on the side immediately. So from there, yeah, they, they must, they must have shortlisted a lot of players, at least available players who can come in in a pinch. I think out of the players would be the most difficult to replace Owen Dale at right wing, um, purely just for the quality gap if we do lose him. Dane Scarlett, because of the type of striker he is and his excellent movement off the ball with service. And it will be quite hard to replace Josh Griffiths because I don't really see a lot of first-choice goalkeepers moving around in January, do you? Usually it's a a summer thing. You pick your first-choice goalkeeper and then that's usually it for the season. There's not usually a lot of change so if they, if Josh Griffiths gets recalled, um, I've noticed the West Brom keepers haven't played particularly well at all, and Griffiths is highly regarded, so if they are bringing him back, he'll probably be starting. So if you bear that in mind, how many keepers who are a first-choice calibre in League One anyway will be available in January? I don't think there'll be that many, to be honest, unless you're going back into the loan market for another young keeper.
3: We're also looking at Owen Dale, for instance, for me, is the player that would be a a really big loss. I mean, obviously he leads the the team in assists in the league um, with four. He also leads the team in expected assists, chances created, all this kind of stuff in metrics as well. So, And then with the eye test, you look at him and you think, we've got something going there with the right back and the right winger overlapping, looking good, creating space, having that width we don't have on the left-hand side. It's not easy, is it, to get someone in there to replace that sort of player at League One level? So for me, that, that's going to be the big, old, uh, the big question if we, if we do lose Owen Dale. Henry Adams says, concerned but not surprised. We've been over-reliant on loans for too long. Each season, we've either need a refresh in January or a squad overhaul in August. It's ironic because it doesn't chime in with the Eisner's slow and steady approach. I think... With a slow and steady approach, we have brought in some players on on permanence to sort of turn the squad round. You know, the likes, of, the likes of Marlon Pack and Tom Lowry spring to mind in, in the centre of midfield and Colby Bishop up front. So we are building a bit more of a spine of a team now, obviously getting in Zach Swanson as a permanent as well, rather than alone of another young player. So yeah, I think the term there, Henry, is slow build, but I sort of feel the ship's going in the right direction.
1: The idea is essentially trying to have a competitive first team while building that core side that are going to be there for season upon season upon season. Because, well, the difference is really there's always that pressure for Portsmouth to get promoted every single time. So the coaches always have to look for the best possible player in every single position. Pack in the summer, centre midfield, fine. Colby Bishop, the perfect striker that fits our system, fine. And then Maybe looking at it and going, okay, we can't find a better right winger on a permanent. Why give a two or three year deal to someone we're not fully trusted in? But there's Owen Dale, who's available on loan, who we've seen play for crew before, who we've seen play really well in League One before. Why not take him on loan for a season and then try and buy him afterwards if Blackpool still don't rate him? I understand why fans are annoyed by the over-reliance on loans. And I think this season they've done a bit better job of it compared to last. I think last season too many of the key factors were loan players and then they shuffled them forward. I know technically looking at our squad at the moment, out of our three main strikers, two of them are on loan, which next season you're going to have to replace one way or another. Same with our key right winger, same with our goalkeeper. It's tough. Because like I said, that expectation is there and if the best players are available on loan, then you go for them, don't you? Because arguably, if the side gets promoted, you'll have to have a turnover of maybe five or six players anyway. So the argument is, well, use that market to its advantage and give you the boost that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise.
3: George Smart then, in, he says, that's the problem with relying on them every season with loan players. As we said before, I suppose, George, this is the ups and downs. You get the talent in. I know Danny Cowley spoke about there were goalkeepers as well. You know, the best ones available to him are on loan. So he doesn't want to compromise necessarily on that. So I suppose, yeah, the ups and downs of the loan market. Cowley's cows message in and says, not too bothered. Back Richard, Danny and Nicky to find replacements. No loan player form has been key to the season. Dale's situation is then protecting their assets as in Blackpool. They can play him in the cup, as recalled, and demand a bigger fee. However small a difference that is, if they're looking to sell him. Blackpool have looked pretty shocking this season, to be honest, from chats I've had with Blackpool podcast people you know, we speak to, etc. And, and their wingers aren't looking very good. And I think Blackpool generally have been a little bit split on whether bringing back Owen Dale is going to be impactful for them or not. But for me, I suppose that is the player who is most likely to be recalled based on his good form, his good metrics, and the fact that in that position, Blackpool are playing pretty poorly.
2: So for me, that's the player I think could be recalled. Yeah, I think you're right there. He's looked, again, I've, I've not spent too much time looking at his metrics, but purely from watching the games, he's probably been one of the more impactful players during our poor run of form. I think his, yeah, in a time when you could say that a lot of other players' form has dropped quite significantly, I don't think his level has dropped to the same extent. And as you say, Blackpool are struggling there a bit. It would be probably the most likely recall, more so than someone like Scarlett, in my opinion. And it would be unfortunate because he is an impact player. I mean, and, you know, the green boots add an extra 5% onto everything he does. And just all of the sort of the unmeasurables there are there, you know, the the passion spelt P-A-S-H-U-N for the game and his attitude and his anger when things go wrong, the green boots, the step overs, the flicks, all of the little unmeasurables are there that make you want him in the side. Um, and, you know, you could have a player in the team that does all those things and actually contributes nothing. And I'd still thoroughly enjoy watching them playing just because of all those unmeasurables, like, you know, what he provides to the side. But the fact that he is actually providing to the team as well is a boost. But yeah, I think he's the most likely to go back. But I, I'm hoping against it uh, with, with all of my hopes. Probably <laughs> well, we have got a in. He says, I'm sure they have others
3: in mind. It's only likely to be Dale, who I think has got better as the season's progressed. But Rico could fill the gap, as could Curtis if Karoma went back. Dale and Piggy here to stay. Oh, Dane and Piggy here to stay. Problem with Rico playing on the other side as well is it just we just look very narrow, don't we, Fred? And I think he's actually looked quite decent more in that in the central role when he has played for Pompey.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Hackett sometimes does sort of play down when he plays on the right hand side purely because he's left footed. Um, I like him when he's in the centre playing in that camera role. It suits him an awful lot because. It relies on what he's good at, which is close control dribbling and short passing around him, and in the certain games he has watched, he's got a good finish in and around the box as well, and, and being in the middle, he it suits him a lot more. Being out on the wing doesn't always help him, but it's nice the fact that he can play all three positions behind the striker that that is a plus, but if he were, like I said earlier, if he was by the first choice right winger. For the rest of the season, say so if Owen Dale goes back, that is a worry.
3: Miss Pompey66 messages in and says, Howley he obviously is, or he wouldn't be getting splashed over social media. He's getting fans ready for a huge disappointment in Loney's returning. This is why we need to buy quality players to get us out of Division One and keep us up in the championship. Ben Thompson's scenario strikes again. I did not think Ben Thompson was going to be brought up again on the podcast unless we're playing against him. But here he is, the transfer window, coming it's around. Four
1: years, and he's no, still, he still gets mentioned every not. semi-regularly. It's quite funny.
2: On a completely separate note, I just want to quickly uh, throw out there that last night in uh, the Carabao Cup, Stuart O'Keefe was on the winning side against uh, Ivan Tony. I just think that's a really important stat for us to be aware of that Stuart O'Keefe is now a superior player to Ivan Tony by the metrics of, of a scoreline. <laughs> Stuart O'Keefe should have kept. That's what Andy Mitchell was saying. Yeah, take what? him over Tony any day of the week at this point.
1: Hey, do you remember who Matty Kennedy is? He, he, he's a decent wing option on both sides.
2: <laughs> Where yeah. did he go? He came to us from Cardiff, right? Where did he go after? Yeah, it Scotland it, he went he's been to? in
1: Scotland. He's played for St Johnson and Aberdeen. Well, there's a player
3: that we should have got missed out on. What, what, what a bloke! As as far as being splashed all over social media, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure it's the same situation as I mentioned with Josh Griffiths earlier on. I think it's just because Michael Appleton's raised some comments, and therefore it's more come from the opposition news outlets, which is why we're covering it rather than coming from the Pompey media machine as such. So. I think in this case, we're a little bit safer on on that topic. But Dave Harley meshes in and said, as long as Richard and the Cowleys identify the right replacements, it lessens the risk of their departures may create. As long as we stay around the top six by January, that's a good place to build from and a nice carrot to entice signings. We do look like a better team, don't we, players want to come for, if we're in the top six and the chance of getting promoted. I think that's fair to say. Also, we've now got a good director of football come in, or a sporting director, who I think rates, or actually rate quite highly from his time at Forest Green. So I'm hoping him combined with the Cowleys is going to provide an even better recruitment drive from from Pompey generally.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. Um, It's nice to have that joined up thinking. And I've heard so many good things about um, Hughes, the new director of football, came across really well on the Not Top 20 podcast when he was interviewed. I think that's worth a listen and if you look at where Forrest Green were in League Two with a side that was put together with, sign- with his signings and where they are now after a lot of them were poached, it definitely says a lot, doesn't
3: it? Oli Joel messes in and says, very concerned. We never learn from past mistakes. Dale is a good player. You want to get on a permanent. He's young and chances are his value will rise. I think it's fair to say his value is rising. Playing for us, but he came out of a season where he had a foot injury and, and didn't do that well at Blackpool. So you could take a punt on that sort of player and, and, and try and buy him. But I think Blackpool also wanted to see what they had in him because they didn't really get an extended look at him. And he was a player that, you know, did really well at crew. He also got player of the season for crew over Tom Lowry, which shows, you know, what crew fans and, you know, thought of him as well and where his talent was. So I think Blackpool weren't necessarily ready to ship him out on a permanent but wanted to see a little bit of what he's got
1: which is why it's causing the situation now. He also has a two-year deal uh, he also has two years left his contract expires at the end of 2024 so from Blackpool's point of view why would they sell him when they've got that long left? You may as well see what you, what you have of the player before thinking of moving him. Loan him to Pompey get some attention
3: sell him on sounds like a solid strategy. Andy Saunders mentioned it and says what will be will be it means we can also send one or two back and bring others in. should we be looking at this from the bright side of life, guys? should we be thinking some of the players are maybe a bit underperforming? Just cut our losses, get rid of them and bring some better players in.
1: I think I'd have to have a look and see who's available for that as I feel a bit better before, before jumping out and saying it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what names jump to mind there for cutting our losses. I, I don't know who I would put forward at this point.
3: Well, that's what we're going to be doing, Andy, in the build-up to Christmas.
2: So we'll see if we think there's any better options. I can hardly wait or contain my excitement. Good, good. That's what i like to see. One of the co-hosts seems so excited about the upcoming
3: podcast. But Jack measures in and he says, Think Blackpool probably trying to pressure a sale. Can't imagine Spurs would be unhappy with how much time Dana's got. So I can't see him being recalled. Young Josh would definitely stay. On a great trajectory so far. No complaints from him or from West Bromwich Albion. He just needs to keep playing, doesn't he? Let's hope his shot stopping metrics improve. But as Freddie said, there's a lot of good things to think about how he's playing as well. So he's also playing the way that the Cowleys want with his passing metrics, et cetera. So he fits the mould of the team. I don't see West Brom wanting to take him out of a situation where he's not necessarily blowing the doors off at League One and then put him straight into a relegation battle in in the Championship, where West Brom pretty much are at this moment in time, quite surprisingly. So yeah, I think he's pretty safe as well. Ruffy Boy meshes in and says, Dale's a huge loss. And to a left lesser extent, Pig, as though he isn't starting, he's very useful. Happy to see Corona go and bring in the left-footed winger. Scarlet would be a shame. Be gutted to lose Griffiths; he's a brilliant keeper. But Wamey does look good. Maybe not quite ready yet. I think we've got some good prospect keepers. Really, Toby Stewart as well looks very good. Up-and-coming young keeper, obviously been involved with the England youth setup as well. So. Yeah, I think we I think we just going to be a situation where until we get a keeper homegrown enough to, to become that number one keeper, we're going to see quite a lot of, of of young sort of like, you know, highly rated championship loan keepers coming to us. Or, so that is the situation that we're in at this moment in time. But Piggott, we'll have to see how the season pans out. It's quite a make or break season, I think, for Joe Piggott, isn't it? After having a bit of a disappointing season at, at Ipswich after coming off you know, the back of being really class for Wimbledon. So I think he'll stay for the season. I can't see Ipswich
1: recalling him back. No, I don't either. Um, it was pretty obvious that Ipswich wanted rid of him in the summer to just have a look at other strikers. So I don't
2: see Piggott being recalled, no. I don't see it. No, they were super happy to make him part of the deal for Harness, weren't they? So I would be very surprised if they suddenly want to bring him in. I feel like he's lost all of his stock at Portman Road and is being used in a different system here. And as you say, he scored the other night. So hopefully the, the start of something new to quote a high school musical song. Wow. Wow, it's a good cultural reference there. Honestly, Andy. you don't have a clue that... I'm, I don't have a clue what's going to it's come out of the hip lecturer, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, Fred? The hip lecturer men- mentioning high school musical. I think as soon as you say the word hip, you immediately become sort of 19... 19- 80s 70s probably i i get described as calm which apparently is a good thing by my students they tell people i'm calm that's so funny because you're so not calm now he's chill he's chill apparently and he's bare calm he's bare calm yeah (laughs) he's all right little do they know mate little do they know They obviously don't see the same things we see when we go out on and away, David. You know, Funnily enough, go, you they do not. Funnily enough, they don't see me doing Jaegers before my Monday 9 am's. And if any students do need to see that, you can hit us up at PO Forecast for good video content. Oh, imagine the YouTube channel we could make. Oh, dear. <laughs> I do want to like message in and says, realistically, we might lose Dale. Scarlett is 99% certain to stay,
3: as is Piggott. Cromer is another pretty much certain to remain unless we choose to end the loan. Same with Griffiths. Think Blackpool will only ask for Dale back if their injury issues continue. Injury issues, but also performance issues, I've heard from Blackpool. They're not happy with their wingers, so we will see how that goes. Thanks everyone who messes in. Really appreciate that. A little bit of fun there, talking about our loan players. But let's get on to the Morecambe game. We spoke to Dave Salmon, from beyond radio and also he does the i follow commentary for Morecambe. he's a returning guest he's been on the show before so some of you might remember him freddie and andy have a great chat so let's bring it in now here's dave salmon having a chat with andy and freddie
2: to preview the Morecambe game Okay, so we are joined this evening by Dave Salmon, who provides iFollow commentary for Morecambe, um, as well as doing bits for Beyond Radio in North Lancashire. So, Dave, thank you very much for coming on the show for the preview. Lovely to see you again.
0: Andrew, thank you for having me on. So great to be here.
2: And I've just lost my mute button, which is an excellent start to the to the chat. Um, um, so I guess we'll start off um, with a very, very broad question. How has the season been
0: for Morecambe so far? <laughs> um, well, you can see the League One table. It, you know, it doesn't lie at this point of the season, does it? I don't think it completely tells the full story. But the bottom line is we've only won two of our 17 games in League One and we are where we are at this point of the season for a reason. I, I'm, I'm been saying for a few weeks, still early, still early, early in the season, but we're more than the third of the way through now, aren't we? So we can't say that anymore. We've been unlucky in a few games, but I think the uh, the harsh reality is that there's been a number of games where we just haven't competed anywhere near as well as we should have done. Um, we've lost lots of points from either winning positions or or drawing positions. And we're not scoring anywhere near as many goals as we need to score. We're not conceding as many as we did last season, um, which is great. We conceded about 93 goals, I think it was, in the League One last season. If we do that again this year, we are going to be relegated, regardless of what else happens elsewhere. So we've tightened up a little bit at the back, but we're not scoring as many. And uh, just those two wins from 17, that means we're in the bottom four. And uh, we're not cut adrift yet, which is good. Uh, it's still quite tight in the bottom six or seven, so uh, nobody's pulling away particularly. But uh, things need to improve in certain areas and, and, and pretty fast as well. I mean, we I should, guess if we offered
2: uh, if we offered you one point off Milton Keynes Dons after seventeen games, you'd probably have taken it at the start of the season. I expect not quite knowing what the bottom of the league would be like. Fred, what did you want to ask me?
1: Um, essentially, I looked at look the player goal scoring tables. Your top goal scorers are Jensen Weir and Kieran Phillips. I've noticed that Cole Stockton from last season, who is a big player, has played in 13 matches and not scored. What's the situation
0: there? Has Derek Adams shouted at him too much? What is the issue? It's a long and, and and quite a sorry saga where Cole's concerned. To be honest, um, he's actually not scored for 21 games now in all competitions, going back to Good Friday when he found the net against Charlton. That was the last time he scored for Morecambe, uh, and he's not even in the starting lineup at the moment either. Because that's uh, that's the way that uh, his season's gone. He put transfer request in about two and a half weeks before the start of the season, which wasn't great. It came completely out of the blue. It appears that he's possibly had his head turned by his agent. I mean, he is 28, so if he's going to make the move, and bear in mind he got 26 goals last season, second top scorer in League One, but at the age that Cole is, if he's going to make the move, it's kind of a now or never move. He only had a year left on his contract. We thought he was going to stay, and I think if he had stayed, got his head down and scored a few goals for us this season, we would have, not happily, but we would have... Respectfully seed him off, perhaps losing him for nothing in the summer, and that would have been accepted, I think, by by many fans. The fact is, he put this transfer request in, and uh, well, he essentially down tools in in many people's eyes. Really, the problem that he had was the club's valuation of him, which isn't enormous. I think about half a million pound, mark something along those lines. We probably would let him go for less, but that valuation. Wasn't met by anybody that put a serious bid in. There was rumours about Fleetwood and there were rumours about Port Vale. I think Fleetwood did actually put a couple of cheeky bids in. I think they were around the £80,000, £100,000 mark. Nowhere near enough for a 26-goal striker, is it really? So the club quite rightfully said, well, that's not enough. We're not accepting that. Um, and then the saga just dragged on and on. Transfer window closed. He was still a Morgan player. His head wasn't right. Then he had a bit of an injury. Then he was ill. And when he has played, he's looked, unfortunately, a shadow of the player that he was last season. And there's no doubt at all, without Cole's goals last season, we would have been relegated. And we need him to start scoring and, and, and scoring soon. But he's shown little evidence, unfortunately, so far, that he's uh, he's going to find the net any time soon. I guess that explains
2: then why, when you were so reliant on Stockton last year, why you're now joint bottom goal scorers. In League One on what, 13 goals in 17 games, jointing with uh, with Cheltenham. And I guess for a point of reference, Plymouth have scored 36, Ipswich 35, Pompey 25. So even, yeah. you know, Pompey have hardly been prolific. They've been solid, but not prolific, and Morecambe have scored half as many goals in the season so far. Is is the rest of the team expected now to sort of fill that gap between them? Are you trying to become one of those sides that spreads the goals out, or is the pressure just been passed on to anyone else in the squad? I wouldn't say the
0: pressure's been passed on per se. Our goal-scoring problems have been twofold. One, we haven't got that prolific scorer that we had last season. I was looking through the stats, and I think Cole, at this stage last season, has got 14 goals already, and that's quite a haul, isn't it? That, that if you're missing those number of goals, it's going to create a big hole. Our other problem is we're just not creating enough chances. We are creating one, two reasonable opportunities at best. And if you don't create opportunities, you can't score goals to win games of football, can you? It's, it's as simple as that. And I think that's a frustration with a lot of the fans at the moment is we're not creative enough. I think the, the fact is that a lot of the games in the recent weeks were set up far too defensively in some fans' opinions. Uh, with sometimes six defenders in the starting lineup and a and a defensive midfielder in the eleven. Um, And that doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence that you're going to go and and create a lot of chances and therefore score the goals that you need. Uh, We're going to need contributions from elsewhere this season. Absolutely. We've got a midfielder, Jensen Weir, who's our current top scorer. We've also got uh, a young striker on loan from Huddersfield, Kieran Phillips. He's got four. He should have a lot more than that, really. He has missed a a few opportunities to to add to that tally. But it's all about the service, isn't it? It doesn't matter who you play for or how good you are as a forward. If you've not got the service... You're not going to put the ball in the net. It's as simple as that.
1: I mentioned this to you last time, Dave, um, when discussing Pompey's chances in, in the next game. A lot of it might hinge formationally as well, entirely on what Derek Adams wants to get out of this game. How do you think he will set up against Pompey at home? Will he go for a high press like he has done in some games, like, Bar- like Barnsley you mentioned last time, mm-hmm. for example? Or will he go... For a more defensive setup and a low block to uh, try and get a point
0: or something? Well, the problem we've had this year, Freddie, is consistency. We have shown in patches that we can compete with really good teams in the league and we have had some really good results. We've also had some games where we have been, frankly, utterly abject. Tuesday night against MK Dons in the Carabao Cup was one golden opportunity to get into the last 16 of a major competition for the first time in our history. And it uh, was just rolled out. It was like a training ground exercise for MK Dons on Tuesday night. They just passed it around for fun. We had one shot on on goal, which nearly hit the corner flag in the 80, 90 minute. And that told you everything that uh, you needed to know. And it's so frustrating because we we are better than that. As a, as a collective of players, we are better than what we showed on Tuesday and away at Burton and away at Cheltenham. There have been games where we've been not at the races for, I suppose, a whole heap of reasons. But we've also shown that we can compete against the better sides in the league. And I think that's what gives us hope going into our our game with yourselves on Saturday is the fact that our last three home performances have been very good, arguably our best three performances of the season. We lost 2-1 to Ipswich. We were robbed on the day, to be honest. We we more than matched them. We went in leading at half-time. They got two penalties in the second half. We had a goal disallowed incorrectly for offside, so it could have been different. Uh, we then beat Barnsley 1-0, and it was the high press. And we hadn't seen that all season. Uh, we had been the low block, the soak up the pressure, try and hit on the break for most of the season. And it caught everybody by surprise. It certainly caught Barnsley by surprise, because we won that game 1-0. And then Derby in our last league game uh, last Tuesday was a a two-all draw. We conceded two more penalties, which didn't help our cause. They missed them both. Um, But their two goals were arguably their only two other shots on target. So we've more than competed in our last three home games. In terms of our setup, if you're going to be going with something akin to your 4-4-2 that you've been playing for large parts of the season... I'm not sure that we would try and match that up. I think in the league, we've been playing a back three, which I suppose in essence is a back five in defence, isn't it? But the keys for me will be not the formation, it will be the personnel in the middle and the and, and, and the final third because our defence is, is pretty set because we've got who we've got and we can't really change that around too much. But the midfield and who we play up top, I think uh, that could be the key.
1: Who are the key players? Play? Sorry, Fred,
0: Fred, start that
2: game by, we talked
1: over each other. You go, but start. Uh, who are those key players in midfield and up front who
0: who you just referred to then? So we've got some good low knees this season. um young hungry players, they're technically very good footballers. But, of course, they're in League One on loan for, for a reason. And I think a lot of that reason is they need to prove themselves and and um, hopefully shine for us. We've got Jensen Weir, who I've alluded to there. He's our top scorer at the moment. Five goals in all competitions. Again, probably could have had a couple more. Uh, dynamic, box-to-box, can play deep, can play further forward. But he's a midfielder. Uh, good passing range. Uh, he's on loan from Brighton played for Cambridge last season in League One. Uh, alongside him, we've got Liam Shaw, who is a, a wonderful, technically gifted footballer. He's on loan from Celtic. He, he may have played against you guys when he was playing for Sheffield Wednesday a few seasons ago, perhaps. Still only young. They're both 20, I think, or 21, um, and got something to prove. So if they, if those two play together in the middle of the park, we might have a chance. The last couple of games, he's played a central midfielder in, I suppose you'd call it the old-fashioned number six defensive midfield position. But when you've got a back three with wing backs, that makes six out-and-out defenders on the field, which obviously has its its drawbacks as well as its advantages. Further forward, uh, we've mentioned Kieran Phillips. He's only scored four goals, but he's looked excellent. He likes to run off the shoulder, play the ball through. Run on, he's got a, a good strike, and the four goals he scored have been different goals as well. Uh, which is, is great to see. We've got another young midfielder called Caleb Watts, who's on loan from Southampton. Um, he had an a, a injury hit loan spell at Crawley last season. I think he played about 40 minutes and got injured in his first game for them and was injured for the rest of the season. But he's got good technical ability as well. Um, so it all will all depend how attacking or otherwise we choose to go. On the back of our defeat against MK and how just utterly abject we were, I suspect we might go a little bit more adventurous than perhaps we might have done, maybe. And then we've got the mystery, well, the two mysteries, really. Do we start Cole Stockton or not? He's not started for the last couple of games. He would certainly come off the bench, I would imagine, if he doesn't start. I don't think he will start, actually. And then we've got a young academy graduate who you won't have heard of, uh, called Adam Mayer. Nowhere near the first team picture until about uh, six weeks ago. Played a couple of Papa John's trophy games, as most clubs do. They blood some young players, don't they? Um, Started against Farragut and the Papa John's, scored, did well. And then he came off the bench a couple of weeks ago against Wickham Wanderers. Uh, We were 1-0 down nothing to lose we chucked him on and he ch- uh, completely changed the game he nearly scored with a great mazy run uh tipped around the post and then from the corner he scored you might have seen it on the telly he scored directly from a corner and that got us a one-all draw he was the hero he should have scored for two-one actually in the last minute but he missed the one-on-one um so he's kind of the mystery attacker if you like who uh who, who might play so uh we've, we've got options it's just how our manager chooses to use them and how adventurous he's going to be i suspect because you are one of the more fancied sides in league one uh, he uh, he might be a little bit more defensive than some fans will like i would like to see him be a little bit more adventurous especially given the last three home performances that was put in and, and, and how good we've played
2: yeah you mentioned the scoring direct from a corner i saw that not from the highlights i saw that on uh, ryan tafazoli's uh, vlog the Wickham. Player, ah, yes, his, yes. His video. He had it on camera just about, and I just he just looked absolutely furious afterwards. It was brilliant. <laughs> but um, I guess getting to the crux of it, then,
0: Dave, uh, what are your predictions for the game on Saturday? Which way do you see it going? I think, as I said, gents, consistency has been the key for us all season, and that's the reason why we've only won twice in seventeen lead games. Uh, we are a different animal at home than we are away. We're not as good at, at home as we were last season. Uh, but we're still, we should still hang our hat on the fact that we've we, we've done well in our last three games. The tide, unfortunately, is starting to turn a bit against our manager Derek Adams. Well, I say a bit. I think it's uh, it's, it's becoming something of a tidal wave at the moment. So he needs to do something to turn things around uh, pretty quick. We've got what we've got in terms of our squad. Um, we haven't got any money in the bank to change things around. You're probably very aware of our ownership issues. As well, we've got to sell the club as soon as possible, um, and, and if we can get a good sale in, who knows what might happen in January. But immediately in the in the weeks ahead, we've got some massive games coming up. Yourselves being one of them on Saturday, I would personally be very happy with a point, so I'm going to go uh, a one-all draw.
2: Excellent, and we're going to force you into picking goal scorers as well because that's something <laughs> that you generally insists on.
0: Um. I would like to see Kieran Phillips score again. Uh, He's not scored for a few games um, and he's deserved more than the four goals that he's got for us this season. He's probably, uh, in our attacking third, he's probably our uh, one to watch on Saturday. He'll probably be the one that you'll need to pay closest attention to. So uh, we'll go Kieran Phillips in a a one-all draw.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your company. Could you please let our listeners know where they can find you on socials?
0: uh you can uh i am on uh twitter at dp salmon salmon as in the fish and if you're not heading down to the mizuma on saturday i mean why why aren't you why aren't you i mean it's a lovely weekend away in morgan isn't it or what's wrong i mean i know it's like a five-hour drive but what's stopping you i know you live on the coast anyway but what's the you know what's wrong with um if you're not heading up to the mizuma um then you can find me on if you click the away commentary you'll hear my voice and you can also find out more uh, on our radio stations website as well if you're that interested in Morecambe stuff beyond radio.co.uk
2: awesome thank you Dave yeah if anyone's needs to break from the dulcet tones of Andy Moon and Guy Whittingham there's your option for the weekend
0: now they are very good don't get me wrong they are they, they are excellent of course um but uh, if you fancy a change we'll try and be unbiased as much as we can <laughs> Um, and I think we'll try and be as, as fair as we possibly can be as well, and 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 good or bad. If we're playing well, we'll say so. If we're being hammered, we'll also say so. So, uh, uh, well, give us a listen for five minutes and uh, see what you think. Awesome. Do a half each, and we can do a direct comparison <laughs> on next week. I love that, yeah. Let, let me know what you think. Awesome.
2: Dave, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, yeah, all the best for the rest of the season. Bar this weekend, as the cliche goes.
0: Always a pleasure, gents. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll speak to you uh, later in the season, no doubt. Well done. Cheers, Cheers Dave. Thank you. Cheers.
3: Thanks, Dave, for coming on the podcast. Boys, I only joined late because I fell over after having a nap, twisted my knee, and then couldn't get here easily. You barely drive originally to get here, so I actually missed that part of the podcast. So, how how did the chat go with Dave? Since people are listening now, a little bit of an insight. We actually recorded that bit first, and then flipped it around to this part of
2: the podcast. So, how did that go? I mean, I fell over having a nap is after having a nap is probably the most Hugh bunt thing I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, it was interesting to hear that um, Cole Stockton is kind of fallen through the floor in terms of form and in terms of his choice being in the pecking order. I think that was the main thing that jumped out for me. The fact that this time last season he'd scored more goals than Morecambe as an entire side have managed this season so far and they're not even sure he's going to line up against us. So that was the big takeaway for me and uh, it sounds like we're running into them at what is comparatively good home form for them. So it will be interesting to see how the game runs out. I'm hoping that we come up against the side that just didn't turn up against MK Dons in the whatever it was trophy the other night, rather than the side who you know ran it switched close, took a point off Derby, I think beat Barnsley. You know, hopefully we come up against them on a on a day where they decide not to not to perform. Fred, what were your thoughts?
1: Interesting. I think one of the takeaways, aside from the Stockton thing, was um, the change just in the transition. Um, Basically, he's trying to decide whether Derek Aberdance will go for a more aggressive press like they did against Barnsley, and that works really well, especially since they're playing at home, or if they'll go for the classic five at the back, sit in a low block and try and get a point. And it all depends on the personnel up front and uh, in midfield. Jensen Weir was decent, he liked, so was Kieran Phillips. I wouldn't say it's a complete write-off, but... I know Morecambe a reasonable side, but probably have to win these sorts of games, get six points on the relegation sides to have a shelter game promotion.
3: All right, boys, let's get into it then. Let's get into the score prediction time. Annie Mitchmore, I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game against Morecambe and any goal scorers.
2: This absolutely stinks of a 0-0 draw or a 1-0 draw. As Fred was saying there, these are the games we've got to be taking three points from. I feel like I say that two thirds of the weeks and I feel like I never get predictions right. So I am going to mix things up. I'm going to go with a nil-nil draw, which also saves me the worry. I mean, the comparative rut worry of having to think of any goal scorers for the game. So yeah, nil-nil draw with some dissatisfaction at the end of the game. And I'm hoping me tempting fake kicks a fantastic four nil win into, into sort of the wheels of that into motion ready what are you saying? I'm going to go with my prediction that I
1: said on Dave, Dave Salmon's podcast. I'm going to go over 2-1 Pompey win uh, with goal scorers. Of, I think the goal scorers will probably be different than that show because I can't remember who they were. Um, I'll go for a Colby Bishop brace and a goal from Kieran Phillips from Morecambe.
2: What are you going for, Hugh? I'm going to go a bit positive.
3: Why not? 1-0 Pompey. Last minute winner. Let's get this. Let's get this uh let's get this form going. Batter the doors down. They're gonna go for the defensive structure. And we're gonna eventually get a goal from Colby Bishop from a set piece again. Why not? Let's get it going. One 0 Pompey and let's start a winning run. That's my
2: positivity there. What incredible positivity. We how the mighty have fallen. Positivity now involves scraping in a 90th minute winner away against Morecambe from probably one and a half yards out in a complete pinball in the box after a corner gets half cleared. That's what constitutes positivity these days. It's a, what a time to be a live voice. Love 2022, hey? Win's a win at this situation, isn't it? I think we just need to yeah. get some
3: wins under our belt and start yeah, do moving agree, up the mate. table. Yeah,
2: yeah, I do agree with you on that.
3: Let's start moving up the table, get some wins, get some momentum. As Freddie says, we, we do need to start winning some of these games, really. So let's hope
2: we can start away at Morecambe with a win. Andy, it's been great on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Lo- never a chore. Love you both. Have wonderful weeks. Bye. <laughs> Freddie, same to you. Hi,
1: Lovely to chat to you guys as always and to uh, give the listeners this podcast. Always a pleasure.
3: Yep. Thanks for holding up the uh, interview boys when I was with my twisted knee. But until next time, play out Pompey.